can I tell you the God's honest truth right now? Please. Scout's honor, like, hand to God, cross my heart and hope to die. Skimbleshanks the Railway Cat song fucking slaps so hard. I listen I to it, it pretty often. It rules. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's, it's really <laughs> hey, great. The reason that Cats has been on for 10 billion years is because people actually like yeah. it. <laughs> Tom Hooper! Thomas. Thomas, Thomas. Hooper. Digital for technology. Thomas Hoops. Um, oh, glory. <laughs> so, I, it's, I'm, it's interesting. I've decided that on the podcast, I'm going oh. to... Just have the, the, the theme song come in, swing in right at the top, and then we can just get into it. We don't have to pl- we don't have to play this weird game where we try to come up with a hook <laughs> and transition smoothly into some bullshit. No more of that. Now we can just freewheel it, which is fine. <laughs> Jax is fucking tired of it. <laughs> well, yeah, because it just means more work that I have to do. But that does mean that we don't... I'm not 100% sure how to approach the introductions of the podcast anymore. What are your guys' thoughts? Well... My truth is... Well, yeah, just tell the fucking truth, <laughs> man. Fuck, truth. you're yeah, so right, man. Keisha. Just let the truth speak for itself. Just let the truth God, speak. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you, I, I know a lot of podcasts have, like, voiceover intros that they do of, like, hey, this is what the podcast is. Join us, won't you? Maybe, you know, maybe. And then they get into it. That they just, like, play all the time? Well, for now, for now, let's say I'm Jackson McMurray, you're Adeline McMurray, and you're Keisha Rhodes, and this is No Nerds Allowed, a podcast about movies and not much else. Um, and but, and we and pretend life. it's about other things, <laughs> but it's usually not. Um, but, yeah, I guess for now that'll, that'll do, pig, and I guess we'll just get into it, right? Maybe it's a bad idea. Maybe we needed the structure. Uh, yeah, maybe this you're is a, up familiar path. This is a brand new year, and we're allowed to experiment. Yeah. So I say yeah. let's go for it. All right. Gonna miss Jackson singing the exact same Star Wars theme every time we do <laughs> no, a Star well, Wars episode. Okay. They were always Adeline, different that's ones. How they open Star Wars. So. <laughs> you know what? That's John fair. You got a point. <laughs> Remember on the <laughs> Revenge of the Sith one where I sang the song from <laughs> the, the chamber where they're watching the opera? It's a classic. It's an right. all-timer podcast moment. That weird-ass opera. Um, we can't talk about Star Wars. So, hey, today <laughs> hey. on the podcast, a very special well, episode in which we discuss Disney Pixar's soul. The hottest yes. new trend. Kids on TikTok are all over it. They're doing dances. <laughs> they love soul. And now there's us. On a podcast talking about soul. I don't think that's actually true. Adeline, you're on TikTok the, only tic- the most. What The only TikTok trend for soul is to have the artists on TikTok draw, draw themselves as a soul. I've seen a few of those. Okay, okay. Oh, that's cool. So not not a big footprint for soul on TikTok. Not yet. <laughs> mm. What's Okay, <laughs> so the, Adeline. To be fair. Yes. There's uh, This is your responsibility, okay? There's a mm-hmm. new challenge on TikTok called the hashtag the soul challenge. What is it? So you fall down a manhole cover. <laughs> and die. <laughs> and die. But it's like whoever can dab the most on the way down, that's the, okay. that's the winner of the challenge. you got to take this seriously, Adeline, because kids haven't been dabbing in years. We're so far yeah, past I know, dabbing. Man. We're I need you to take this back. seriously. It's that cyclical. was my irreverent take. I think... there's a, Okay, so you don't want kids going outside because it's COVID. Mm-hmm. 
There was the last, like, trend that I saw on TikTok. To be fair, I am not on straight TikTok. I'm on, like, cosplay and all TikTok. So I don't know what the what the cool kids are doing. But the last trend that I saw was, like, doing eyeliner things okay. for an eyeliner brand. I think that was just an advertisement disguised as a challenge, though, maybe. Okay. So I would say I think there's been a lot of the controversies. There's been a lot of, like, makeup looks that are, like, close to cosplay but they're not cosplay so i think it'd be like soul eyeshadow where it's like the blue and the light blue and the yellow i think that's what it would be okay to do like a makeup look inspired by, by soul. soul listen right. this is what i see on tiktok all right okay fair enough um, i think my challenge would be what's the fastest you can get into an existential dread spin uh, so you're one of those yeah. little monsters on the ground going bah, 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 stress <laughs> <laughs> That'll be my challenge. Um, can you do it in a minute okay, or 15 so just, seconds? Right, yeah. If you can fit it, you start from zero and you whip yourself up into an existential tailspin <laughs> before the video is over. And if you do yeah. that, you yep, succeed. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Or just, you know, see where you get. Maybe you don't get all the way there, but you get close. <laughs> um, so, soul is... An interesting... You're not going to come up with a trend, Jackson? Oh. You're just going to offload that on well, us? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm the producer. I just told you guys to do it, and you did a good job. So I don't know. Yeah, why, I don't see why creatives. I have to. Lol. <laughs> um, this, so Soul was one of two movies that came out on Christmas Day on streaming services for free. I mean, for free asterisk, because you have to be subscribed to a service. But, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, like, between this movie and Wonder Woman 1984, it was so funny on Twitter because everybody and their brother sat down in the afternoon on Christmas and watched Wonder Woman. And unilaterally, everybody was like, what the fuck? This blows. Fuck this movie. <laughs> like, I yeah. saw so many Wonder Woman 1984 blows dick tweets in that afternoon. It was insane on christmas day and then, a wonderful christmas present yeah, exactly and then on december 26th that morning i saw yo soul actually kind of rips like a million times <laughs> like every single person sat down and was like i think i'm gonna take a bite out of wonder woman first and then tweeted about how it blew and the next morning was like soul seems pretty good and watched soul and then tweeted about how it was good like on that exact same schedule i just thought that was wonderful yeah because they they picked the worst one. Let's like, I don't well, know yeah. why Wonder Woman blew chunks, but it blew chunks, and so Soul was definitely the correct choice. Um, my goal during this podcast it, is to um not cry because not anytime cry I've tried to talk about this movie, okay, okay. I started crying. All right, <laughs> because I think it's that good. Keep an eye out. It's very good. It's definitely, it's definitely, I think, the chillest Pixar movie. Because, like, it's kind of, it's kind of slow. We kind of do a bunch of things. There's not a lot of, like, action. Right. There's not really, like, a villain. We're not really fighting anything. There is, like, a time crunch, but it's kind of, it's kind of a slow time crunch. Because we're told it's the end of this day, but this day is the movie, of course. <laughs> so it, it, it takes a while to, like, it doesn't feel like an impending time crunch. I don't know. I would say it's a very, very slow film. Yeah, and it's... Sorry, excuse me. I was thinking about it because my my girlfriend Anna works at a daycare. 
And she was talking about how they showed this movie for all the kids one day when they were, like, sitting down and watching a movie. Because it's available for free and it's a kid's movie. So they were like, sure. Um, but I just, I couldn't imagine, like, showing this movie to a bunch of, like, second and first and second graders. Because, like, mm-hmm. this movie's not really for kids. Like, yeah. not that it's, like, inappropriate or, like that they shouldn't be watching it, but it's just like, I don't know what a kid would get out of this movie, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like, the, I don't like to be like, oh, kids wouldn't get it, but, like, I don't think... No, they wouldn't get it. Kids would get no. it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because it's very explicitly, it's kind of like... I honestly want to compare it to Kiki's Delivery Service, where the moral of the story is, like, definitely, like, existential and about, like, the hardships that come with, like, living life. Because Kiki's Delivery Service is basically about burnout and not being able to do the things that you used to be able to love for no reason and trying to, like, get back into it. Right. And so, like, kids don't understand that part of Kiki's Delivery Service. They just see the cute witch girl and the cat, and they're like, oh, this is nice. But the soul doesn't really have that kind of factor. Like, we <laughs> right. have a funny cat, but not funny enough to dispose of all the external dread you know right yeah and like but i also wonder it is always if... talking about how like the only movies we can show kids at work have to be rated g and sometimes they can kind of fudge it with like a pg movie every once in a while but like she's <laughs> always looking for g-rated movies to show the kids and i'm always like my bit is i'm always like citizen kane anna you gotta show your kids citizen kane <laughs> rated g you gotta make sure they understand you gotta show these kids citizen kane but like that's a bit, but showing the kids' soul to me seems like showing them Citizen Kane. <laughs> like they they would get the same amount of understanding. Of <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's of just it. like it's just not that it's inappropriate. It's just like you wouldn't like it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you haven't lived long enough to understand what's happening. Yeah, and it's not your fault. And it's not the movie's fault. Because it it does feel like this movie is ha ha ha. It's like Soul Sisters with inside out like right. they have a lot of the oh, same definitely. tone and theme but at least inside out is like colorful and not that this movie right. is not colorful but yeah, yeah, yeah it's like bing bong and tower of boyfriends <laughs> and <laughs> right. pizza well because like i feel like inside out more than any other pixar movie is more explicitly for kids mm-hmm. it's like yeah it's like aimed right at kids to be like, we're teaching you a specific lesson about the world and, like, how you feel and, like, how to engage with your emotions. And it's like, this is a lesson we want to impart upon children. And this movie is just like, no, kids, this one's for grown-ups. <laughs> like, it's, because, <laughs> you know, it's, like, ideologically playing in some of the same spaces and it's the same director and... But it just feels so, like, diametrically opposite, where it's just like, um, there's probably not anything that a kid would like in this movie, besides, yeah. Definitely like, not the huge, terrifying, lost soul monsters. Right. Definitely not those things. <laughs> and it's well, just that's like, kind of what, just wow. That's kind of how Frozen and Frozen 2 felt to me, though. Like, obviously Frozen is more geared towards, like, children, but Frozen 2... Even though it is still, like, this is a family movie for sure. Like, it it does feel like there are more adult themes than in the first one. Mm-hmm. And the, like, creators took that into account that the kids who started, they were super young when they watched Frozen. Like, they're six years older now. And it feels like the kids who were kids when Inside Out, like, the seven to ten-year-olds that, like, Inside Out is really for. If, like, they're 15, 16, 17 now. 
And right. this movie is perfect for them. Yeah. And you I guys, love that. The of time is bonkers. Because people always say that about, like, Toy Story 3. And I was a little bit... Because, like, the people who grew up with Toy Story and Toy Story 2 were then in college when Toy Story 3 came out. And I was a little bit younger than that. I was probably in high school. But it's just, like, back then I was like, oh, I get it. But, like, now the progression of time is crazy. What do you mean children grow up? What the fuck? <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and I also think, like... So, so this movie, the biggest thing that I think about a lot whenever I'm watching one of these new Disney movies, whether it's a Pixar or a Disney proper or even, like, a DreamWorks or anything like that, like, these movies where it's, like, these top-of-the-line, like, highest-tier animation studios pushing out, like, ultra-expensive animated movies, like, we are fi- – we're hitting a point where people look gross, in these movies because their skin is too real and their heads are shaped weird because they're trying to be a little bit cartoony, but their skin still looks like real ass life, like human skin on top of them, you know, and the whole world around them looks exactly like live action video, except for these weird cartoon people running around. And it's obviously it's not unwatchable. But every single one of these movies that goes by, I get more and more weirded out by the people in them, you know? I think, Jackson, I think this is just a you problem. I, and I don't mean to dismiss <laughs> it completely. But, like, because I, I really like the aesthetic that Pixar has going on with its people. Like, looking at Inside Out, like, the mom and dad and Riley and Inside Out, I think, look great. I love Coco is, like, my one of my favorite movies ever. I think everybody looks great in that. And you you were super freaked out by Mama, Grandma Coco. Yeah. You did not like the way that she looked. And, like, everybody else on the planet thought that she was adorable and looked great. And you were freaked out. So I think this is just your own hangups with the Uncanny Valley? Because I don't know. I didn't experience that at all during Soul. I think the main character's face is a little bit weird, but everybody else's face was, like, immediately recognizable. It's, like, obviously a little bit exaggerated, but, like, kind of, like, ugly in, like, a human way. Like, the guy who works at the barbershop, and he's got that, like, super, like, small chin. I was like, oh, I know a guy that, like, looks exactly like that, you know? Like... It's definitely exaggerated, but I don't know. I don't think it's at the point where it's, like, really Uncanny Valley. I think we've gone over the valley. You don't think yeah, that the kids I, in that band class at the beginning look like nightmares at all? No, I, I think I they have look not, fine. I have no qualms or problems with the character okay. design. I really like but it. But what I was trying to say was that the, like, this movie seems to be, like, more than any of the other Pixar movies previously, because it's only, it's only becoming more exaggerated, I think. The better we get at this thing, the more uncomfortable it is to see these, like, mega-realistic pores and bricks and stuff next to, like, cartoonish features. Like, this movie seems to be, like, presenting, like, the height of the problem while also presenting what is the solution to it, which is to just do something else. Just do something that mm-hmm. is abstract and does not require anything to have pores or microscopic hairs that you have to look at. Which has always been the Pixar formula, which has been, we don't know how to animate people, so let's animate toys mm-hmm. and then we'll figure it right. out Right, but now it's like the reverse. It's like, we animate the people too good. 
<laughs> so now yeah. maybe we should try something else until we can get that figured out instead. I think this movie aesthetically I remember what was that uh, what was that stupid uh, animated like amusement park movie that came out? I think it was called Amusement Park or Wonder Park. Wonder Park, or yeah, something like that. Yeah, that movie did not do well. And the way that I described it, I described it is it looks like a student's short film in that it looked underdeveloped and just there for like aesthetic. Like it, it just looked like someone who had put like the barest amount of time into something on like a time crunch for a student film. Well, that movie well, literally didn't that... have a director is the problem with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's what was happening. But with Soul, I think it looks like a short film in the best possible way in that they are making aesthetic choices that Pixar has made in their short films before that have been like a little bit too out there to like put in a full film like the way that all the jerry's look and the color scheme of the great before and like all that stuff is like super pixar animated short like taking these big risks like aesthetically and i think it really pays off because it's so cool to look at i agree and like the lighting i can't tell you how many times watching this movie i went I can't believe this is animated. Like, I can't believe that light is animated. <laughs> right. Like, it looks right. it's like it's just warm and real and, like, you could, like, reach out and feel it. I think that's dope. I don't, I don't have that's, any problem with it. But that's the thing is, like, if you're like, I can't believe this is animated, then, like, why is it animated? <laughs> you know? I don't know. I think why not? I think that's really beautiful. Like, I don't, I don't think there's any problem with the lighting becoming better in animation. <laughs> Jackson, are you gonna look me in the eye and tell me when you were watching Toy Story 4 and it was raining and it looked like it was fucking actually raining, you weren't just sitting there going, what the fuck the whole well, time? Well, but that's so the thing cool. is that it's, that is portraying something you couldn't do in live action, right? But with Soul, like, obviously the animated portions of it that are, that are, like, in the great before and the beyond and whatever and the stuff with the cat, like, sure. But I just, I don't think it needs to be that hyper-realistic. I think not only is it a matter of consolidating your energy and, like, putting more effort into other areas of the movie, but it's also just a matter of, like, you're, you're tempting fate. You're saying, like, we're gonna make this look so much more real over and over and over again until it is... I guess just indistinguishable from reality completely and the people still have big weird cheeks and noses and But then it doesn't look exactly like reality because they're making those aesthetic and character design choices. You're literally But they're not being conscientious about destroying your own No, because the skin and the pores and the hair and the clothes like look so real on top of something that is so fundamentally not, it's weird. You can't tell me it's not weird, Adeline. It's not weird because nobody else thinks it looks bad except for you. I would say with the, I do think that there is a point to be made about like what is the end all be all for making animation super realistic. Because if you can make if you can make it look like real life, then why are we animated? I think that's a fair argument. Because I think we kind of get into, I'm gonna talk about video games for once in our nerd po- podcast. Looking at like the Zelda games, like Twilight Princess had a lot of issues, but one of the things was it was trying to make things on the Wii look as realistic as they did on all the other major major consoles. 
So Twilight Princess was supposed to look like this hyper-realistic, or not hyper-realistic, but definitely more gritty and more realistic than all the other Zelda games were because they were trying to compete with like Xbox and PlayStation and stuff like that. Versus like Wind Waker and like even Breath of the Wild that are like so stylized. Now I'd say that Breath of the Wild is definitely realistic, but it's so stylized and it's coloring and it's animation. The like the point the point of video games is not to have you're giving the player a very specific experience and that experience shouldn't just be reality, because then why the fuck are you playing a video game if you're just experiencing reality, right. you know? So it's like, the end-all be-all for animation shouldn't just be like, it looks exactly like real life, because then why the fuck exactly, are you animating right. that way? Here, but uh, I would argue that that's not what Soul is doing. It's not, let's make this look exactly like real life. It was, let's make this look like real life to give you... Because we're telling a story about real life. Mm-hmm. We're trying to tell you a story about morals and, like, life and death and, like, what it means to truly live and, like, all these things. So, like, of course they want life to look like the life that you live yeah because if it didn't i feel like it would kind of lose a little bit of something if if real life didn't look like real life then i think it wouldn't be as meaningful and it wouldn't be as much as like a love note to living as it is you know i 100 percent agree i i feel like it's not always necessary and shouldn't always happen like pixar just released uh onward and nothing about that feels like oh yeah that's sunlight that i see in my world and whatever right but i i do think that like this specific story that they're telling the lighting has so much to do with what they're trying to say and so like the light from in where 22 is like the great before there's nothing that feels like that for her and so when she like she doesn't like earth at all or they because they don't have a gender whoa (laughs) When, like, 22 goes to Earth, like, feeling warmth and feeling, like, experiencing taste, like, all of those things are really important to her journey, their journey, whatever. Gender's weird. Um, And so, like, you can't, you can't give an audience taste or smell or whatever else she's experiencing, but... Like, we know what sunlight feels like, and that, I think, is really important for this. I think that that's why it's necessary. It's not always necessary, but to this specific story, I think it's really awesome and beautiful that they have this storytelling device now. Yeah. If we want... Yeah, so shut up, Jackson. I'm just thinking. I don't know. I was just thinking about... I think 22 is actually a good, really good way to talk about, like gender expression with kids though because like technically they're nothing technically they're they Mm -hmm. but she basically explicitly tells you that she identifies as a woman she's like i purposely choose to sound like a woman she says because she thinks it's annoying but like still (laughs) she explicitly chooses like hey i'm gonna identify as right i thought they give the little kids gendered pronouns don't they like they the little i noticed that they didn't with the the jerry's pointedly and they all have sort of like androgynous voices in one way or another but i think they give the i think they say like her and she when they're talking about 22 unless i'm i think they do yeah um but i don't think it matters well yeah it doesn't it doesn't matter yeah um i'm just saying yeah but um 
I like, but yeah, anyway, but just like the, the broader point I was trying to make is that like the solution to this problem is just like leaning further into things that aren't trying to emulate real life. Like make something new, make something different instead of being like, look, this brick looks like a real fucking brick, you know? And Mm -hmm. I, I just feel like the novelty of check it out. This brick looks like a real brick is wearing off on me, you know? Like, when you saw... What was the one, the Pixar short film, where the little bird was on the, like, sandpipers? Yeah, Piper. I think it was just called Piper, (laughs) Right. That one was, like, the first time I saw something in animation where I was like, holy shit, that looks like real life. And that felt insane the first time I saw it. And then, like, again, with sort of, like, Toy Story 4 was the first time I was feeling it in, like, you know, like, a feature-length movie. And then... Like, Soul is kind of the second time where you're looking at New York and you're like, wow, that all looks so real. But it's like, from now on, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be impressed by it anymore, you know? And I'm so much more impressed in this movie by the the afterlife or the before life or whatever, where they're, like, creating these, like, these textures and, like, these broad ideas about what things could look like and, like, rendering them in a way that is so insanely specific and so micro-tactile, you know, that I think is so much more interesting than check out this building. It really looks like a picture, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also I think... think yeah. Go ahead, Keisha. I think that it... I don't want it to be used as a gimmick, but I think that if it is in a toolbox of an animator's options, I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, I... if if they're going to keep going down this route of like only making things look hyper realistic, then like that's not interesting to me. But I do think that mm-hmm. when it's applied well, then I think it's totally worth it. Well, I would argue that I don't think, at least I don't think Pixar is going down a path of just making hyper realistic animation. Cause like, I don't think that's what Onward was at all. Onward was definitely very cartoony aesthetically even though they were definitely trying to like make you feel nostalgia about like the 80s and like hometown vibes and stuff like that like it was still adjacent to reality but it wasn't hyper realistic at all it was very cartoony and stylized and that kind of helped get their message across but like think about the environments Adeline whenever they're like on a mountain or whatever like all the wood and the decorations in the buildings are so like finely realized that it's the same. It's but the I same. I think that helps make the world feel more real also. But that's what I'm describing is exactly that. Like everything having to look real, which I don't think I it don't think, should. But I it don't shouldn't think look that... real. It should look like a cartoon. Well, like, I don't know. I think that we're getting in like to pedantic territory where I don't like, I don't think they're trying to trick anyone they're just trying to create the vision that is closest to what they feel like represents the movie best. And I think that being somewhat grounded in, like, onward, it's very hyper crazy, The like, characters and ogres and elves and whatever, like, that's not real. But there's a very real family element that should be grounded somewhere. And I think that's okay to be like, there. this is a hallway and this is kind of what a hallway looks like. I don't think... It was abused in their application. Right. Yeah, well, it's like, I always remember in Onward, the part where I was like, oh, that looks super real, is the part where he's, like, writing stuff in his notebook. Right. And, like, the ink on the pen looks exactly like a pen in real life, and then it's, like, kind of running out of ink and, like, leaves impressions in the paper. 
and that like that like spoke to me tactically because I draw and I write and I do stuff stuff like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a very text. It invoked a texture that I was very familiar with, so I think it did help ground the story. It's like it. I I agree with Kija. I think it's just a tool in the toolbox. Like, would you rather just have? a brown table and tell people that it's made of wood or have a table that's so clearly made out of wood that people can be like, oh, dude, that's exactly like my table at home. I know exactly what that table feels like just from looking at it. And I immediately know it's a wooden table, you know? By the way, you know what's the best line reading in cinema history? Remember in John Wick 2 when he's talking to Peter Serafinowicz who's giving him like his outfits and he's like, what kind of lining would you like on the jacket? And he goes, tactical. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the best. <laughs> Fuck off. Um, it's good. You're right. The One of these things, although I, there is something really spectacular in, you know, and you make note of it in Coco as much as you do here, but, like, people, like, really playing instruments in these animated Pixar movies is kind of insane mm-hmm. because, like, it's, I was, I watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom a little while ago. Which is a movie about musicians in which most of the actors are not actually musicians. And they're Mm -hmm. pretty okay at faking it, like, enough, you know? But every time there would be some, like, you know, weird shot of Chadwick Boseman pretending to play the trumpet... And, like, it just doesn't line up with what he's doing. It, like, sucks you out of the movie, like, so completely because you see, like, that's a guy pretending to play the trumpet, which is, like, so inherently ridiculous. It just totally mm-hmm. it takes you out of anything you could be enjoying about it. But, like, yeah. Pixar is so specific in these things about, like, doing not performance capture, but taking reference video of people playing the real instrument in real life and recreating that in animation on screen in a way that nobody else is doing and in a way that is tremendously difficult to do even in a live action movie, you know? And like, especially like, and you know, it's one thing where it's like, Oh, I don't play the trumpet, but I know what it looks like when a person plays the trumpet. But like, I don't think I've, I I play the saxophone and I don't think I've ever seen somebody playing a saxophone in a movie that looks as much like somebody actually playing a real saxophone in real life as Dorothea Williams in this movie playing saxophone Mm -hmm. does, Mm -hmm. you know, just in terms of like which buttons she's hitting when and like how she's holding it, (laughs) you know? Well, because in in Coco and specifically, specifically because it's guitar playing, that was like the first time that I saw Dad, like, really engage with an animated film. Because, like, obviously we've been kids the majority of our lives, and our fathers <laughs> watch, like, anime movies with us. And Dad's never been, like, the I hate animated movies types, but he's always just, like, you know, watching them. And I remember watching Coco in theaters, and him, like, excitedly telling both of us, like, hey, Miguel is playing, like, actual strings on the guitar. Right. And I could tell it just, like, immediately made him, like, more interested in the film, because it showed... It not only does it show Miguel's passion and that he's actually playing the guitar, but also shows that the people making the film have the passion and the care to, like, actually make it look like these people are playing the instruments. And it definitely, for the people who know how to play those instruments, I think it definitely draws them in and makes them, like, appreciate what's going on way more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, like, Pixar, more than any other, like, animation studio, is super committed to telling, like, the most authentic story they can um like 
on every single level, which is so great to see in like an animation studio that's specifically for children. And it like it makes me think of like the question that's been raised the past few years, like what makes a Pixar movie feel like a Pixar movie? Because like Onward didn't feel like a Pixar movie and the great dinosaur ruined Pixar, blah, blah, blah. Like all of that (laughs) stuff, you know, you've heard it. You've heard the things. (laughs) But I think what for me, the way I define what makes a Pixar movie feel like a Pixar movie is it's a like a more nuanced and like difficult theme to grasp than what has traditionally been told in stories. So like there's no girl boss there's no like true love's kiss, <laughs> right? Or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's no sh- knight in shining armor, but right. there are still like themes for kids that are digestible, and there are like authentic tales being spun. I think that right. that's what feels mm-hmm. like Pixar to me. Because there is something yeah, about mean, Pixar that all I think the thing that made Pixar as successful as they were was that their movies feel really uncorporate in a certain kind of way. Like Mm -hmm. they always feel like they're doing something that is unique and original. Even when they're doing like a sequel that you didn't ask for their, their storytelling is such that it doesn't, it never feels like trite or like anything was like, Oh fucking. Okay. (laughs) You know, we got it. Yeah. Like there's something about it. They, they just have an integrity that's like so woven into the fabric of their brand is what I think allows allows Pixar to make a movie like this, a movie that is so I don't know how else to describe it other than uncommercial, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like how do you pitch a little kid on this? You know? <laughs> You're like, like do you how want do your you... own 22 stuffed animal? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. in a in a world where this came out in theaters like it was supposed to have done. Like how do you cut together a trailer for this that makes little kids want to go see it? Like, I wouldn't be able to figure it out, you know? And, you know, they figure that, out something. They, like, play with it to make something that well, I remember feels like a kid's movie. I the trailer that they did make, like, forever ago before they basically were playing, oh, this has to come out online. Right. But they put 22 in a cowboy hat and she was doing a stupid fucking dance. <laughs> right, that yeah. was the tagline. It was like, eh, it's like the Minions kids and it's not like <laughs> right, the Minions yeah. kids. Or like that, you gotta what, make something maybe up. Maybe like 20 yeah. seconds of like when he eats the pizza and then like it poops out because he's a spirit right. and they don't yeah. have bodies. Yeah. And it's like, ha 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 ha. But that's but then the trailer so, has to be over so minis- such a we got nothing minuscule else, part of the <laughs> right. movie. And, like, and because that's the thing is that there's just, there's nobody else. Like, even the most groundbreaking animated movies of the last few years, things like Wolfwalkers, things like Spider-Verse, have a, a, a commercial appeal to them at the end of the day, you know? They don't feel, mm-hmm. they don't feel like grown-up intellectual art movies. They feel like exciting, fun family movies that kids might like. And they're also just great on top of that, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Pixar are the only people who could make a movie like this that just feels so... I don't... Like, I guess just weird, you know? And they are still, like, PG-rated family movies even in spite of that, but that's, like, the one line that even they still can't really hop over that people have been trying to get people to do for so long. But still, I think there's just something... I think that is 
their uncommercialness is what people like about them, which is just so crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel... Yeah, I think what's ruined Disney movies for a lot of people is that commercialism. Because right. you just can't ignore it anymore. Like, you could kind of ignore it before, but, like, it's just... You can't consume any Disney media without, like, feeling that commercialism, like, just coming in the side. So it's just, like, a narrow pinpoint of what's left of the movie. Right. But Pixar has been able to, like, preserve that. And I do think it comes... I talked about this with Coraline, I think. But that the art medium itself just makes it feel scrappy. Like, animation is always going to have so much more inherent pathos than live action is. I think just because animation has not always been, like, the... Has not always been respected as much as it should have, or has not always been as profitable profitable as it should have. Like, it because somebody had to do so much more work to do animation. I think it has a built-in pathos. Because you were talking about like with groundbreaking movies that they have to be like uncorporate. And the first thing that I thought of was Shrek, which was immediate. Like the the whole concept of Shrek is just like, hey, fuck fairy tales. We're gonna tell our own fairy tale <laughs> and like. A, com- a comedic, winking, look-at-the-camera kind of way that, like, just works so well and is so genuine. And it's... I think Shrek would fucking blow ass if it was live-action. I don't think <laughs> it would... I don't think we would still be talking about Shrek if it was live-action, you know? Right. But because it was groundbreaking animation, it just has so much pathos built in, you know? Right. But I think there's a difference between the kind of non-corporateness of Shrek and the kind of non-corporateness of Soul... Whereas, like, Shrek feels tough. Shrek feels edgy. And that in and of itself has a commercial appeal, you know? Being like... That's fair, yeah. Fuck the kind of stuff you've seen before. Look at this! And Shrek takes a shit on something. And you're like, Fart joke, fart joke. But, like... That's not the good part of Shrek. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But it's, like, it's satirizing Disney explicitly. It's, like, going out of its way to, like poke fun at tropes that you're used to seeing played so genuinely and that in and of itself is like what got people interested with soul like it's you know like with shrek that's a pitch you know that you can Mm -hmm. slam on a trailer and people are like oh holy shit it's like anti-corporate as opposed to just not being corporate you know that's fair that's really um and like i think and it's also hilarious with shrek that shrek has become the only model for like corporate animated movies now <laughs> like yeah what the fuck happened man i'm talking about it so often on the podcast but i just yeah i fucking hate dreamworks just solely because of how much they commercialize shrek well, it's not even like that it's like just the tone of shrek is the tone of what every animated movie needs to be now it needs to be yeah self-referential it needs to be smarmy it needs to be making fun of other animated movies in some kind of way it needs to be self-aware and poke fun at itself at any possible opportunity and no matter Mm -hmm. what it cannot feel sincere you know yeah for some reason shrek is very sincere don't shit on shrek but it's not sincere in Adeline Shrek I, is so. I see what you're, sin- I see what you're saying, though. Sincere like, emotion at the heart of it, but it is a cynical, smarmy, snide movie. Don't pretend like it's not. Well, no, I, I, I totally see what you're saying. Where the like the moral of that movie is that we need to reevaluate the stories that we are given and realize that there are other stories out there. That's the point of Shrek. 
is that the stories that we have been told are incomplete and don't leave room for people who don't fit the perfect image. That's the moral of Shrek. I think I'm not that's, saying I, that... I, I, go ahead, Keisha. <laughs> I think it's... Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I, like, I love Shrek, and I think that what it r- brings up, like, a Beauty and the Beast story where both people end up like beasts, but that doesn't matter because screw you for selling this story to kids that you have to be beautiful and talented and smart and kind and all of these things like obviously like that's not necessary uh like because you're a valid human being without all of that stuff right um but i i i yeah i think that like shrek can get lost in like oh you like princesses well they're stupid oh you think that happily ever after exists well that's stupid and you're stupid for liking it and i think that like this movie is it like casts 22 in oh what's the point of earth like there's literally just pain and depression and weird smells and like i'm up here and i don't have to deal with any of that stuff i can just be and that's fine i'd rather like not risk it and then seeing like that there is beauty and also pain and like arguments and being good at walking and pizza like that all (laughs) make life feel good and real and lived in and not perfect but like worth it i think that like that is the pinnacle of pixar for me right Mm -hmm. the and i think I think Kate is bringing up a valuable uh, point in the chat, which is, this is just an defense of Shrek now at this point, but I want to defend Shrek, that it, Shrek does do the same thing, where, where Shrek goes through that growth of realizing that that cynical worldview is wrong, and if he continues to live like that, he's just going to be alone and unhappy his whole life, and then realizing that there are good things, like Happy Ever After and Princesses, and realizing that there are good things that also come with those ideas and that he and Fiona live happily ever after. Like, I think I think it's the same idea of going from cynical to realizing yeah. that there is good in this thing that you thought you were always going to I hate. mean, look, we're not actually arguing because I know that we feel <laughs> the same thing about Shrek as a movie. We're just, we're talking about the, the vocabulary that we're using because yeah, yeah, yeah. what I mean is that it is a movie that is inherently transgressive, right? In yes. a way that other animated movies of the time were not. And it's explicitly satirizing a very specific thing, right? Yes, yes And yes. the difference between Shrek and, like, the, the snideness of 21st century children's movies is that the... All of these movies have some element of sincerity to them, right? Mm. Ralph Breaks the Internet is, like, the pinnacle of this. You know, of course that movie is at its heart a movie about, you know, leaving, you know, how you manage relationships with people and what does it mean when you can't be with somebody anymore and all that kind of stuff. There is sincerity at its heart. But it doesn't change the fact that it can't stop winking at the audience and it can't stop making fun of itself and it can't stop poking fun at tropes in this kind of movie in a way that is infuriating and so irritating. Does that make more sense? Mm-hmm. Is that more fair? Yeah, that totally makes more sense. Yeah, I agree with your original point that says, while Shrek is anti-corporate, Soul is not corporate. <laughs> right. I think that totally sums it up. Apparently. Um, so when this movie came out, people were like, where's John Ratzenberger? Why isn't John Ratzenberger in this? 
because uh, he's been in every Pixar movie. And P. Yeah. Doctor was like, he's in there. <laughs> Everyone was like, where? He's like, it's a secret. So people are just looking Figure for John Ratzenberger out. in there. <laughs> Pete Doctor. Did he say some shitty stuff on Twitter? I don't think so. No. Um, I thought he said some shitty stuff on Twitter. But, like, apparently there's just a secret John Ratzenberger cameo in here somewhere that people are trying to find. Maybe, Maybe Pete Doctor was like just a like. Language. My theory, personally, is that Pete Doctor just forgot to put him in there and in that interview was like, oh, fuck. Like, uh, no, he's in there. Uh, no, uh, I'm figure sure it he's out. one of the dead people that's like on the conveyor belt in that first <laughs> scene. I'm sure he's one of it's them. It's like, oh, it's a secret. He's It's a secret one that we put in there just for us. That one, we were like, this one's just for the boys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're <laughs> a real fan. Movie, there's not... <laughs> talking about how this movie like doesn't have a lot for kids. There's not a lot... There's a lot of funny situations and a lot of really like... Yeah, that's earnest, true situations but there's not really a lot of jokes but that being said the funniest fucking joke in this movie is when he goes is this he double hockey sticks and all the unborn souls start going hell 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 this is hell hell it's the funniest that's thing really good <gasps> oh yeah. bro is, there, i'm sorry i looked up the john ratzenberger thing yeah um and it's that hit uh they they animated him into the movie. He's in oh, the bullshit. movie. Bullshit. That's no bullshit. He, he's in the subway, bro. <laughs> mm. I'm telling that's you, it, that's what that's what they did. That's what they did. That's bullshit. The the I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying it's whack. Listen, he might have the he you might hear his voice. I think that's dope. I don't no, know what you're talking about. You got. He's got to play a part. He's got to be like, oh, hey, I'm John Ratzenberger. And you're like, and you can lean over to your girlfriend and say, that's John Ratzenberger. He has that's a cameo in every Pixar movie. That's he the magic of it. He slaps you because she already knows that. And you can it's lean over to your girlfriend and say, that's the soul. That's the soul. <laughs> yeah. It's actually, it's called Black Mirror because if you turn <laughs> off your phone, yeah. your screen is exactly. like... Exactly. It's a reflection on our own society. It's not the future. It's now. Uh, <laughs> that's um, the thing. Listen, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool. All right, all right. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm just saying I want thought. him to get paid for it. If he doesn't have a voice I in there, I don't think probably, he's getting paid. You don't think they were like... John, if we use your likeness, <laughs> how do you feel Maybe. about that? I don't know. I don't know. Because John Ratzenberger is just, like, famously, like, the king of residuals. That guy is just, like, raking in money every month for no reason because he was in Empire Strikes <laughs> Back and Toy Story. <laughs> like. That's a dream. You're just, That's a dream. You're just never going to stop yeah, making You're money. just set forever. <laughs> like, I don't know. I want... I want John Ratzenberger to get that fucking bread with every new Pixar release. That's what I want. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just a John Ratzenberger stan. I don't know what you want me to say. I am. I'm just built different. Follow my stan account on TikTok, John Ratzy fans. John Ratzenberger. I can't think we- of any other live action John Ratzenberger besides that one guy who Han Solo tells to go to hell and Empire Strikes Back. Mm-mm-mm. I don't know. ADK. I'm not actually a John Ratzenberger stan. I'm I'm a liar. <laughs> I don't anyway. know enough about his career. Um, I like, oh wait, I was gonna say about the I regret I re- retract what I said about this not being for kids because 
Watching a a soul that's never walked around in a grown adult man's body is so funny to watch. Like him (laughs) flopping around, eating pizza, and then also there's a man inside of a cat. That's gold. That's comedy gold for kids. Right, right. But like the sequence where he's... I'm obsessed with the sound design in this movie because like... I was I was watching some of the behind the scenes stuff before we started recording and talking to like all the sound people who worked on this, like he, like they talked about like the first question, like obviously the big question is like what is this like before time sound like, like when stuff moves mm-hmm. what does it sound like and the first question they asked is like he's gonna fall down the manhole and he's gonna like land on his ass on this like hard thing right, and they're like what sound is that gonna make. And as soon as you, like, imagined having to, like, sort through that 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 problem, you know, like, it just, it sort of unlocks, like, how, how much work the sound design is doing in the rest of the movie, you know? Oh, yeah. And, like, what they decide on is just, like, this very bassy, like, there's not, like, an impact sound, there's just, like, the the aftermath of an impact sound, I guess, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's kind of, it reminds me of the sounds that it makes in Finding Nemo when they're, like, jumping on the jellyfish. It's, like, kind of like Right, yeah. And Which like, I love. And the other choice that I think is so smart is the little, like, mosquito buzz when they go through the, the portal to the great beyond. Because it, like, mm-hmm. it perfectly conveys something that would freak you out but is also not horrifying you know it's like yeah. that perfect level of being like uh no thank you without being like you know <laughs> like it's just that perfect little butter zone of like i don't think i want to do that yeah i think that this this movie is like the master of subtlety where it's it's not like this is the future and technology buzzing and it's not like the afterlife but it's like somewhere in between like this unknown and it's not scary but it is not something you're familiar with like Mm -hmm. which is i don't know how to do that like unfamiliar but comforting which it's it's oxymoronical it doesn't make sense but it's good I like it. I really like this movie. I think it's really good. Yeah, I think it's pretty good, too. That's the thing about Pixar movies now, is that every time one of these comes out and it's, like, a great movie, people are like, yeah, you know, it's no Incredibles. (laughs) And it's just, like, doomed to be, like, you know, it's not The Incredibles, because obviously it's not. But, like, there are so many times, like, I think Coco and... Inside Out and Soul are all these movies that are, like, incredible, like, great, like, eight or nine out of ten movies. But because they have that Pixar title card at the beginning, you're like, yeah, it's, like, probably, like, C, B or C tier <laughs> Pixar, you know? Like, your yeah. your expectations are so insanely high every time. It feels like every movie, people are always, like, way more measured about their praise of it yeah. than they would be for Which anything else. If you love that film and you go to Disneyland, you're just fucked because <laughs> there's not going to be anything for you. <laughs> I don't um, know, because well, I feel like I, I would more highly rate Coco than I would ever rate 
The Incredibles. And I know that, like, The Incredibles is super beloved and great and fantastic, but I think that Coco has just so much more to say and to teach children about, like, the world that I I would rather rewatch Coco. And I, my, I've only seen Soul one and a half times now, so I don't know if I would rate Soul that highly, but I think I, I can't think of another, like, movie in general that has the, the like the the point of the movie is like you don't have to be good at something or the most talented or even talented like your life is worthy and right like that's the point like i've never seen that before and i think that like that's mm-hmm. what they've been going with or like onward it's like which like wasn't treated like people were like eh, it doesn't feel like pixar eh, it's fine it's not it's not the best obviously but i've right. never seen like, or I, I just haven't seen, a, like, a movie recently that explores what what does it feel like to love someone that you never knew? Like, right. he loves his dad, but he never mm-hmm. met him. I think that's crazy. Like, that's crazy to present to 7 to 12-year-olds. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that's better. I think that's, that's how I feel, personally. Yeah. I do think... It's I talking about Brad Bird has kind of just ruined like Ratatouille <laughs> and The Incredibles because like I can't look at those movies without seeing Brad Bird's like oh exceptional people deserve the world kind of thing you know <laughs> like I feel like this movie and Coco are kind of literally the opposite or it's like you were not put on this planet for one purpose you are put on this planet to live and you can do whatever the hell you want with the life that you were given right. you know like they just feel like so much like the opposite of that kind of like mindset you know right i i look i wasn't pointing out the incredible specifically i just mean in general like there are so many classic pixar masterpieces yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that it's like it, they're constantly yeah. like shooting themselves in the foot just by being so awesome all the time you know yeah. it's no finding nemo shut the fuck up man i know it's not <laughs> but like i think that at this point those movies are all like that was when Pixar was young and it was really amazing that this studio like just kept putting out so many consistent, beautiful, creative, like artistic movies that are still super appropriate for families. I, I think that like we're moving into this time where maybe we need to readjust and reconsider like how we've been feeling and describing Pixar movies because I, I'm really hung up on this. Like, what feels like Pixar? I don't think that's fair. No one's like, mm, what feels like DreamWorks? Mm. Like, I think that if a, a studio is so good at telling stories that we shouldn't rate them based off of a weird arbitrary scale that we as an audience created, you know? Uh. Yeah, because it feels like... It doesn't feel like Pixar shooting themselves in the foot. It feels like the audience shooting Pixar. Well, in the yeah, face, exactly. You know, <laughs> like, like I love like something about Onward. I think it just has to do with my obsession with D and D and just like the place where I was in my life, like coming out of high school. Like I loved Onward. I feel like Onward like struck super specific chords with me. I love the aesthetic of that movie. I think it's a great movie. I cry at the ending every time. And it's just like, and then people are like, fucking whatever. I'm like, nobody talks about Onward. And I'm like, Onward is great. And if it any other studio had made it, they would have loved it. But because it's Pixar, they're like, oh, it's bad. Which is just, which is just It's dumb. just not it's the dumb. same. Well, yeah. Finding, well, yeah. Not the same as Finding Nemo. 
Yeah. <laughs> He's not as good as Finding Nemo. Where's all the where'd all the talking fish go? You know what? <laughs> I think Finding Nemo is overrated. I think that's like bottom not bottom tier <gasps> Pixar, but like that's Whoa. in like the bottom fifty percent. <laughs> Finding sure. Nemo is the worst Pixar ever made. I don't. I feel like I can't speak to where I would rate Finding Nemo because when I was growing up, before my sister was attending school, so I was like in second or third grade every day i would come home and my sister watched finding nemo every single day for months <laughs> and i'm not lying i'm every single day right right and so i would come home at like this around the same time every day so i've seen like the last third to last half of finding nemo a lot <laughs> right so I, and against my will <laughs> so i i my yeah. rating is it's unfair it's biased Right, right, but right. it's it's an excellent film. I love Pixar. Uh, what can I say? Yeah. Well, okay. So so we've done over the course of this podcast, we've done many Pixar episodes. It's kind of kind of our brand at this point that we <laughs> yeah, it's kind of our we thing, gotta do know. these. We've we've never gone through, and instead of trying to make a, a ranking on the fly, what I'm gonna do is I'm going to. Say the titles of every Pixar movie, and you just give it a grade, A through F. That, that'll that be our, our tier list, our personal oh tier gosh. list, okay? All right. Okay, I'm ready. I feel like I, this is, this is, my whole life has led up to this. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and we, um, and by the way, I'll just, I'll just take a quick second here. It's so cool seeing so many pe- new people in the chat hanging around. I don't want to interrupt the, the podcast for too long, but... Marco Araya and Lechi and Chaz the Pukeko. Lots of super fun, cool names to, for me to say out loud. <laughs> that Jackson has to figure yeah. out how to say. <laughs> uh, Headquarter Productions has been here so many times, and we really appreciate them. Like, it's super cool seeing you guys. We've been working at this for a long time, and like feeling like we're finally pulling in some people feels great. Um, also, thank you for complimenting the art. Yeah, I did it, and I'm Adeline drew it. Uh, okay, okay. <clears throat> so uh, we're gonna try to. We're just gonna kind of rapid fire these. Okay, A. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, a, B, C, D, F. Okay. Thank you for explaining grades to us. <laughs> Do you want? I'm just just setting I the rules. Here's what I think. I think we each get one S tier movie. Just one. Oh. We get to point out our S tier. Okay, okay. <clears throat> uh, Toy Story. B. C. B plus. Sorry. I say B for Toy Story. Bugs Life. D. B minus. I really like Bugs Life. I say D. I think Bugs Life down there. That's not, that's not right. Okay. I, Toy Story 2. I think 2. I need to broaden my scale. Oh, no. <laughs> A. I missed her. I'm sorry. I was talking. Toy Story <laughs> 2. Toy Story 2. Uh, B minus. A. A for B on Toy Story 2 also. A. Yep. Monsters Inc. We're first one. <laughs> A. A. A for me on Monsters Inc. Finding Nemo. <laughs> B. B minus. <laughs> I say C for Finding Nemo. I think Finding Nemo is not that great. <laughs> the Incredibles. C. B. Incredibles is A for me. Cars. Yeah, no, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm opening myself up to criticism. <laughs> <laughs> Cars. F, F minus. Cars one, cars one, C. I say B. <laughs> I'm going to stick up for cars. Ratatouille. B. A minus. 
I say B for Ratatouille. Wally. I want to say A, but I feel like it's a disingenuous A, if that makes any sense. <laughs> okay. I want to say B for myself. Wally's a B for me, too. I can't get over how preachy the second half of Wally is. Yeah, that's really fair. <laughs> uh, up. C plus. I've seen people bad-mouthing up a lot, and I will not stand for that slander. I think up's an A. I haven't, I haven't seen it in a really long time. That might be the Pixar movie I haven't seen in the longest time. In my memory, it's an A. But I, I might, think, I would be willing to reconsider. I think that the first ten minutes are obviously an A plus, and of course, then of course. I think a lot of the movie gets lost in meandery, right? Um, but it's still good. So C plus uh, for me. Toy Story three. A. Uh, C plus for me. I didn't. Like I Toy think Story Toy Story 3. C is like a B minus. I really like Toy Story three. I thought I think Toy Story three was the best ending for the Toy Story series. Uh, I hard think disagree. I agree. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, the, no. The, 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 the leaving the legacy to go on with a new kid when when Andy goes to college. I think that was a great ending for. The ending series. of Toy Story four is a I, masterpiece. I won't stand for this. Cars two. F negative ability. <laughs> so yeah, obviously that's F. Super fail. Uh, super fail. Brave. Mm, D plus. I'd say, I would say C. Haven't seen it. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 a good movie, and I like it. I love Merida. I do think a lot of the movie is just bare. Right. I okay, do yeah. love, I'll be shooting for me own hand. And it's just <laughs> I, love, I love the mother-daughter. I love the fun Scottish. I think the aesthetic is great. I think we get lost in the weeds a little bit. Uh, Monsters University. Uh, C minus. That's a hard C. Uh, yeah, maybe a D. Um, inside Out. Uh, A. I would say B. I think I'd go for B for Inside Out, too. I think I'm giving everything a B. Uh-oh, I forgot. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't, actually. <laughs> Good Dinosaur. Oh, God, D minus, D minus. Yeah, me neither. Look, I you don't need to get too the- hung up on it. These are just knee-jerk reactions <laughs> know, that we sorry, are keeping sorry. no meaningful record of. <laughs> Great. Understand this podcast. Well, yeah, but we're not yeah, like you know. writing it down so you can compare them to each other. If somebody's gonna write down all <laughs> our grades and be like, "You said A for Toy Story two, but B for Finding Nemo," like no one's gonna do <laughs> that. In, in earlier in the podcast, you said <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, uh, what's next? Finding Dory. D. It's a hard. I really like Henry. It's a hard C for me too. I think Monsters University and Finding Dory are like equal levels of I don't really care that much. Yeah, I agree. Like they're fine. They're not bad, but just like whatever. What? What's the point? Uh, Cars three. I haven't seen C. It. C. C for me too. I think that's on Finding Dory, Monsters University level two. Coco. That, that's my S tier. That's oh, I haven't been doing an S tier. I forgot. Yeah, I might. It might have to be my S tier too, because I fucking. Love I think that my S tier would be either Toy Story two or Incredibles. That's I also important. i I didn't grade my Toy Story two correctly. I gave Toy Story two an A. I'm so sorry. I got <laughs> I got confused. Um. <laughs> yeah, I think I have to give Coco my S tier. Okay. Incredibles two. C-. See, I have to give it an A, or else I have to murder Jackson. I give Incredibles 2 a fucking D. Yeah, 
<laughs> I think Incredibles. You fucking hate that I movie. I think so Incredibles much. 2 blows. I think Pixar has two bad movies. I think they're Cars 2 and Incredibles 2. <laughs> uh, What's the next movie? Okay, we're in the home stretch. Toy Story 4. A. I did not like Toy Story 4. Adeline. I said A. Oh, okay, good. Because it's a fucking A, baby! <laughs> <laughs> Toy Story 4! I did not like Toy Story 4. Toy Story 4 is Toy Story 4 the second best Toy Story think. movie. I disagree. I think, okay, Keisha, I thought that Toy Story 4 was unnecessary, but what we got was very, very good. No, I think, I think Toy Story 4 is a better ending to the series! I think what we got I also was... think Toy Story 4 really screws over Bonnie and makes her look like a dick. I think Toy Story 4 really unravels the whole point of Toy Story 1, 2, and 3, so it's a, it's a C for me, because it's beautiful and well-acted, but what's the point? We can talk Onward. about this some other time. <laughs> Onward, B+. plus. <laughs> <laughs> Adeline, what'd you say? I said oh, okay. A. Uh, I think I'll go for B for Onward, too. Uh, and last but not least, Soul. A, definitely. I I almost want to give it an A. I feel like I'm closer to B, though. I want to say A minus. I also, I'm changing Onward to A minus. <laughs> wait, have, you're changing which I, one? Oh, Onward. I'm cha- both of them are A minus for me. And then the next three, what we have to look forward to. <laughs> Just a gut reaction. Yeah, gut reaction. What do you think Luca's gonna be? I think Luca B. Is that the one with the boy who's friends with the ocean? I think so. A. I, I think they're. I think they're in trouble. I think they might get too much, just like Moana. Ooh. I don't know. Or too much, just like Call Me by Your Name. Right. The plot synopsis basically just sounds like <laughs> Call Me by Your Name. No, 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 no. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> I say. I say. My prediction: Luca gonna be a B. I think it's gonna be a C. I think okay. it's gonna be the worst Pixar movie F. <laughs> whoa, whoa. It's on the record now. I don't know. I have no idea. How am I supposed to know? And turning red. Is that racist? Uh, oh, no, that's the one I, I saw a theory about. It's this. the one that Domi Shi is directing no. about the little girl who turns into a red panda when she gets excited. Oh. Yeah, no, because 22 yeah. goes to central China at the end of the movie. And so people are thinking that 22 might be the girl in Turning Red. I think that's dumb. <laughs> uh, I think Turning Red's going to be an A tier. I think that one's going to kick ass. It does. The little girl looks really cute and the red panda looks really cute. I think that'll be I think that'll be a B plus. And final, 2022, you guessed it, fucking Buzz Lightyear. Oh my I god, with Chris Evans! Shit, dog. I think that's going to be a bad time. <laughs> I'm giving it my S tier. I forgot to give an earlier movie an S tier. I'm giving Lightyear my S tier. You can give a movie your S tier if you want, retroactively. Um, yeah, I said it would probably be either Toy Story 2 or Incredibles. Uh, I also just, just want to point out um, pick- Chaz the, the Pukeko uh, just being like, have you guys heard about We Can Be Heroes? As if they're not just like <laughs> dropping an atomic bomb on this podcast. Yeah, we cannot <laughs> get into it's that. not about to unravel the entire well. conversation for another hour. Because I think it's good, and Keisha thinks it's bad, and we've been fighting about it for a few days. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we have hard disagreements on We Can Be Heroes. I, I said this earlier, but I'll say it again just for the stream, is that I I have so much nostalgia for the original Shark Boy and Lava Girl. I love that movie as a kid. I don't know why, but I did. 
And then looking back on it, like, as an adult, I'm pretty sure it's maybe one of the shittiest movies ever made. <laughs> it's, it really, it's really not good. So I don't know. I, I don't know how good We Can Be Heroes can really be, you know? Right. One of the things about Soul, the movie that we're podcasting about today, yeah, I'm uh-huh. fascinated that they made the decision to... This also sort of ties into the whole, like, non-commercialness of it, too. The decision to hide the part of the movie where there's a talking cat in all of the marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. who who won that argument where they were like, so I know there's very little to actually show kids. What if you took the talking, you're not allowed to use the talking animal in the marketing? Was this somebody like trying to challenge themselves? Well, I think it was kind of like, the same, like for a while and onward, they like, didn't really talk about how their dad would be a uh, legs a the whole time. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, I think that was, like, a secret for a while. Like... Yeah, but then they told that's us. True, we that's true, that's true. Yeah, we fuck? really were... <laughs> what are you fucking We were straight about? up blindsided about this cat switcheroo. <laughs> because I feel like I've noticed a trend with Disney movies specifically being a lot more cagey about sort of, like, any sort of early twists, quote-unquote, in movies... Like, I think of the fact that we didn't know that the dad was just going to be legs. We didn't know that they were going to go back in time in Avengers Endgame. And I mean, we kind of did based on, like, reporting and stuff, but it wasn't, like, in the trailers. Like, that was just a surprise when you sat down. And, like, I feel like Disney is getting more, like... Because I feel like that whole... They gave away the whole movie in the trailer thing is, like, so rampant. (laughs) <laughs> right now oh, yeah. which look this is just my own personal beef most of the time when people say that they don't actually they just think that's the end of the movie mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever they think yeah. it is usually they're going over the events of the first act of the movie and there's much beyond <laughs> it that people they're don't know about the conflict yeah and then people are like yeah, they gave know. away the whole movie that was what happens at the end right no it's not it's not what happens at the end or, like, when it's, like, Spider-Man, and it's, like, and here's a little bit of footage from when they fight at the end. And they're, like, you gave it away. It's, like, yeah, Spider-Man and the Vulture are going to fight, fight at the end. end. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Did you think that wasn't going to happen? They were just going to have a chat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway. Yeah. I My fear going into this movie was that it was going to be just blobs the whole time. I think a lot of people right. have this fear. And, like, especially mm-hmm. since there's been, like, this weird and upsetting trend of like black lead characters not being in human bodies mm-hmm. uh like princess and the frog and the spy one with will smith not totally spies i don't remember what it's called <laughs> spies in disguise spies we, in disguise we could be spies we can be spies <laughs> we- um, uh, and there are, like, other but, ones, yeah. but it's just, it's, like... I mean, Brother Bear. Brother Bear, yeah, just, like, a lot of people of color, which is also makes me hesitant with the panda movie, but I also trust in the filmmakers, so... Because, yeah, that's feel, one of the things yeah. that I'm fascinated by, like, listening to a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. They pulled, like, basically the exact same move that they did with uh, Coco, which is basically, it's just, like, Pixar... At least as it is. There's a lot of really interesting reading I did because now that Lassiter's out, Pete Doctor is, like, the the chief creative officer of Pixar. And he's talked a lot about how, like, 
there's been a lot of reporting about how he's being very specific because the Pixar culture was so overwhelmingly white man for so, so long that like, Oh yeah. It's the most disheartening. Thing well, but Pete doctor is, is being very, very specific where he, when he's staffing people to be like, I want every important meeting to have like more or less exactly 50% women. He wants more diversity and all these kinds of things. Like I've seen a lot of different interviews from a lot of different people being like Pete doctors fucking killing it on making this a better work environment. Um, Mm-hmm. But uh, they pulled, like, exactly the same thing they did with Coco, where they were like, we have this idea. And they're like, okay, so we are all white guys, though, is the thing. And I'm I'm the director, and I'm not going to stop being the director, but I will pull somebody from that culture who was an animator or something and, like, raise them up and let them be the, the co-director. Which is what they did with... Uh, with Coco, where it was Leon Critch was the director who was a white guy, and then they let Adrian Molina come up and be, like, a co-director to just, like, have a Mexican perspective and be like, here's what we're doing right mm-hmm. and wrong and what needs to be going on. Did the same thing. Uh, co-director on Soul is Kemp Powers, is his name, who was just an animator who happened to be black. <laughs> who They were just like, oh, hey, come on up here. Help us make this movie. Make sure we're not doing anything wrong. Yeah, so that makes it sound like they just found a black man on the well, street. And we're like, hey, you're well, black. It was some, I mean, that's kind of what it was. It was, you know, somebody within their department. It was, you know, probably somebody they yeah. know and trust. But the, the I, I'm describing this as being a little bit whack because I think it is a little bit whack that they were yeah. just like picking the one guy who was black to just come up and you know, be the guy who is more important to, like, make sure they're doing everything right. Which is, like, simultaneously, like, probably the right decision in that particular scenario, but it's also just a weird way to conduct business within your, like, corporate family, you know? Um, Yeah. It's weird. It's It's a weird thing that is, like, better than not doing anything, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, like, they could be doing a much better job, but also, like, historically representing, like, people of color in animation has a lot of times been putting in voice actors and maybe not even putting in voice actors that are close to representing those people. And then it's all white people mm-hmm. behind the scenes. Right. Um, so I, I, I appreciate the, like, arc towards... Hey, maybe we'll give the, the, well, maybe we'll make the director actually a black person. Right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Maybe they'll get him next time. The, um, and one of the things I thought was so fascinating, because that's, that's the thing when it comes to like diversity and inclusion in film that people talk about a lot is cinematography and like how the way that you shoot people with darker skin has to be very different from the way that you shoot white people just in terms Mm. of the way you set up the camera in terms of lighting, in terms of like what's going to make people actually show up against things, you know? Um, And so like black cinematography is like a a whole, a whole issue that people have to be conscientious of. Um, And I read that apparently they brought in Bradford Young to be a lighting consultant on this movie. Who's a, a black DP who's done a lot of work in that sort of area. They were like, we're going to grab a live action DP and, like, have him make sure we're doing this whole black cinematography thing right, which I think is f- fascinating. Yeah, um, which I think shows in the movie, especially when they're, like, doing the darkest scenes in the movie are definitely when they're, like, at the jazz club and they've got, like, that red and that blue and that purple mm-hmm. light. And, like, 
nobody disappears because they have darker skin tone. Like you can definitely right, yeah. tell. Um, I also, I don't know. It's just, I love Bradford Young a lot. He's like a cinematographer. He did Arrival and he did Solo, a Star Wars story. Like those are, those are just like his prettiest <laughs> movies, but he's just like a young cinematographer that I'm always really excited to see because those movies yeah. look uh, so good. And this movie looks yeah. so good I, lighting wise. Yeah. I was going to say the difference between Coco and Soul, just from like a cultural perspective, because like obviously black culture is a thing and we need to represent black people correctly and stuff. But I know with Coco, they just, like, basically what they did is they were like, all right, we're going to go to Mexico for a year and just make it look exactly like <laughs> right. that. And that's why Coco looks so good and looks so perfect is because they put in so much time to be like, all right, we're just going to take two years and we're just going to research and that's all we're going to do. Because I think and then versus when you're doing, like, Black Culture in New York, it's like, okay, we're just going to live for two years in <laughs> New York. That's not <laughs> right. the same thing, yeah. you know? And also, it just this is this isn't relevant, but it just makes me laugh because early in production in Coco, they had because so much of Coco is like the Spanish and Mexican influenced music with mariachi and all that stuff and all the different types of music that's not just mariachi. But they had the people who wrote the music for Frozen. They had them write two songs for Coco, and they're maybe the most. Like I get maybe it's just because I've seen the music in the film after it came out, but it was just like the most like, white people, corporate, like, Broadway music <laughs> right. ever. It's the weirdest thing if you look it up. It's like, it's like the, like, Frozen-style Broadway singing about Dia de los Muertos. It's just like the, it's so, it's so bad. It's so right. weird. Um, the, uh, okay, so, so the one, like, sort of plot element in this movie that I, that I have a hard time with is the weird little miniature arc with the trombone kid. Because mm-hmm. I'm not a hundred percent sure what was going on with that. I think that, this oh. this movie is about, on some level, it is about being a teacher. That is the relationship between twenty two and right. Uh, I can't think of his name. Joe. Joe. Joe Gardner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the relationship between twenty two and Joe is a teacher student relationship he is a teacher and we see that at the end when he's going into the zone for the last time and realizing like what he's learned and like we see the shots of him like teaching kids and stuff like this movie is about being a teacher especially with uh the scene at the end when uh spoiler alert 22 is a lost soul and you see all her past mentors and like how bad teachers have had such an effect on her life and like how she sees herself and her self-esteem and all that stuff which I think is an excellent B-plot, but we kind of don't have time for it. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it doesn't fit in as perfectly as I think it should. Because the whole thing with her and, like, him, like, I feel like she should have been more inspiration to Joe than it was for 22. Because Joe was like, yeah, of course she wasn't going to quit, quit trombone, she loves trombone, whatever. But for 22, it was like, she, this thing is hard, and she kept at it, and she stuck with it. Like, it's supposed to be this, like, learning is worth it when you're learning about something that you love, or something like that. Like, any kind of, any kind of anything that would connect it to that B-plot of, like, teaching and learning and being a teacher and that kind of thing. But it just kind of does For me, I think I, this is what I took from that scene. 
is that the way that Joe teaches and the way that he approaches life is that you find what you're passionate about and then you get good at that and then you get so good that you're great and you reach whatever the highest level may be. Uh, For him, it's being like a professional, like full-time jazz musician. And so when you like when you see this student, she is obviously talented at it, at the trombone. But at one point, she like just doesn't care about it anymore. Like it's it's just not doing it for her. And I think that 22's arc, like her arc is about like finding life. And Joe is is approaching it from what you need to find is your purpose. And that purpose is what you are on the planet for. And it's revealed like really subtly. Like, I mean, obviously people get it, but they're not like, oh, you dumb, dumb idiots. Actually, the whole point to life is being alive. Didn't you get it, dummies? Uh, (laughs) So when, like, 22 is watching the student playing trombone, she's literally like, yeah, you should quit. Like, it's it's not worth it. Like, (laughs) nothing's worth it. You're totally right. Right. You got – I agree with you. Quit. And (laughs) – She's like, wait a second, I actually want to try again. And so instead of being like, I'm not good enough, I I don't, like, I'm getting lost in this, like, she goes back to a place of, like, I'm finding joy in this thing. And so, like, 22 sees that, like, realization of, oh, I'm not doing this because my teacher told me I was good. I'm not doing this because... Uh, my t- I've been encouraged and I, I'm, I've practiced so much. I'm doing this because it's what brings me joy in life. I think that's right. like, I think that's what it's for. Right. Because that's what convinces 22 and like gives her her earth badge or whatever. <laughs> right. Which is one of those Wreck-It Ralph logic things where it's just like, <laughs> until it becomes an earth badge, I can't transfer it to anybody else because I said so. You're like, yeah, okay, sure, yeah, I'm yeah, fine. yeah. Um, we don't, we no, don't control the after or before life. Right. Um, And the other thing is, I don't know, this is my, honestly, my biggest problem with this movie. And it's, it's almost a CinemaSins criticism, but I don't feel like it really (laughs) is because this movie is so focused on world building. No, shoot your shot. Like a big break in that world building, which is like, okay. So when they get their spark, it's because, it's not like their passion or their meaning. It's just like their will to live their enthusiasm for the idea of being alive right sure great Mm -hmm. but if why why do any of them get that spark if they can't think or feel or taste or experience any kind of joy because they're not alive yet right like 22 gets her spark by firsthand experiencing the sensation of being alive and is like, oh, yo, this rips. I'd love to do that. And so now she can. But it's like, why Why do you need to be shown specific things in, like, this depression world where you don't quite have emotions yet? Why would anybody ever get a spark for being alive? Does that make sense? I, I think so. I think that's, like, kind of what I was feeling towards the beginning, right. too. Like, but I think that... Uh, I like that's why I love this movie so much is that a lot of times like we're shown like you like Moana is good because she's she learns how to sail and she's brave and right Mulan learns how to fight and she's 
courageous and honest and whatever like all of these people have skills that they're connected to and that's what makes them valuable and i think that that's right and i think those are all good and fine and obvious like i like if someone is connected to music and that's what like sparks their joy and that's what makes them feel really passionate about life i think that's just as valid and i and probably that's how lots of people like they find soccer they find painting or they find uh like devoting their life to service or whatever like the psychologist that he was supposed to be at the beginning (laughs) right yeah i think that those are all good but i think that if none of those things mean anything to you that doesn't mean that your life is meaningless like right yeah walking matters and smelling (laughs) matters and watching tv can matter like all of those things yeah if they add up to a life that you feel positive and passionate about then that's it doesn't matter if you don't have your your thing right no yeah and because yeah obviously that is like the sentiment of the movie is like your value as a person and the value of life is not in your achievements it's not in your skills it's not in what you do it's just in being alive and being you and experiencing the world because that fucking rules and it does but yeah which is inherently anti-capitalism which is yeah great. and like it is the the problem is that I have with the movie is not a thematic intellectual mm-hmm. like about what it's saying. It's more just like, but if you so if you can't <laughs> like feel emotion like them going into the room to find their passion for that one thing that they do that they want to do and getting a spark makes total sense to me. But if you're like, no, actually, they're just looking at stuff, even though they can't really feel yet. But if they look at the right thing, then they'll become excited about being alive because they weren't before. It's like, I don't think that that they couldn't feel. I think that is. Yeah, they have feelings and emotions. They're talking about like physically they can't like right. feel tactically. Yeah. That's what they're that, they can't taste. Or that's sell. sort of mushy too, because the way they talk about how Twenty Two experiences the world is more than just sensory. It's emotional also yeah. in the way that she but experiences like, life in a way that she doesn't when she's in the before, whatever. But the way that she experienced like before life was meeting souls that had already experienced Earth trying to communicate to her like you have to be like we'll find something that you're passionate Amazing. about you have to like music right. you have to like sports you have to like s- being mother Teresa. you have to like being the president <laughs> like right and then immediately after like not being interested in those things being told that she was bad and that she was wrong and that right. she wasn't worth it so like her like connection to earth was i I won't like this and I'm bad. I won't be good at this and I'm bad. Like, so what's the point if I'm bad at all of the things that they're presenting to me, which are just skills because that's how human beings, unfortunately, present worth is like through actions or through uh, whatever. Like, that's on us. That's on humans. Like, that's not on, like, what the point of this movie is that, like, life is bigger than those things. I wish you guys would just let me say something that's kind of bullshit, because, like, clearly, (laughs) like, I get all that. Like, obviously, all that stuff's good. I'm just saying, 
practically. <laughs> I would say my one CinemaSins, and this might be literally straight out of the CinemaSins right. video. I haven't watched there it yet. There is no one. I checked. Is they keep getting food and going into taxis without paying for them <laughs> right. in new york yeah. like they just walk into a taxi cab and get out of a taxi cab and the taxi cab driver is like hey why aren't you fucking paying me money right. bitch like it's just then that's absolutely right no yeah for sure. the fuck cares but. yeah because like look all i'm saying is that movies are math problems and if it doesn't add up it's a bad movie is all i'm saying yeah. and i'm just saying if it doesn't have a b and c then it's a big pile of right dookie. it's a huge pile of dookie <laughs> and i hate dookie i'm f- famous for not liking hey, dookie everybody dookies. i'm anti-dookie and do you, you can put me hey down i have bad. a question do you think that do you think that out of like the billions and trillions of souls that have existed there was one that wasn't passionate about anything but dookie probably it's a really real. It's a real possible. But they would never know. They would never get their spark. You don't know. Do you don't know how hard those person. mentors were trying. Well, there's but probably see, the a thing. sanitation engineer. But that's part of what I like about the movie, though, is like there's that moment where they're like, "Check out these kids," and just like, "I'm an introverted whatever," and this one's just like, "I'm a so sociopath." Excuse me. And there's the one case, just like, I'm a sociopath with homicidal tendencies. And they're like, haha, that's equally Ooh. valid. <laughs> like, get on out yeah, there. Like, that's someone else's <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Problem. It's like, cool, you are still a person. Get on out there. It's like, yeah. Like, yeah. like I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting that, like. Yeah. Well, it's cool because, let's be real, this movie, if you think about it too hard, comes with some weird pro-life assumptions that you kind of just have to deal with and get out of the way but i do like that in that little short moment that they do kind of be like nobody is born evil get on out there it's like oh okay that's kind of cool i like that well i don't even think it's necessarily not born evil it's just like people have certain things about them inherently and sometimes that makes them more toxic to other people but doesn't change the fact that they're a person they get to live a life and they get to you know eat pizza and walk yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um that's like <laughs> at the very least you can walk and breathe get yeah. out there um, i watched an interview um from like the sbsk channel that uh like an actual like diagnosed sociopath did right. and it it's really interesting and like i, I it's it's hard to like invalidate someone based off of like their physical like mental inability to connect with people right and, like that life is just as valid it's really good i highly right. recommend it if you yeah. haven't seen it before the um it, oh shoot there's something i wanted to say but i forgot what it was you mean to tell me that the american audience demonizes mental health <laughs> what tell me oh. Just that, like, as far as the whole, like, pro-life thing, because, like, on a certain level, like, you know, some people, like, literally spiritually believe that, not to say that I necessarily don't, I don't know, I'm not gonna take too hard a stance about anything, but, like, that that (laughs) you have a soul out there in the ether that already exists and that it is supplanted into your physical body at a certain particular point you know that you always have been there i guess and i don't think this movie is trying to say that that literally is true it's more just like a thought experiment about like yeah 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 how people are you know 
like the majority of Pixar films, I do think it's kind of like, we're just going to act out a philosophical question and we're going to see what comes of it. Right. What if you met all your dead ancestors? <laughs> what, if, uh, what if we talked about parenting and maybe religion and we use the metaphor of a child with a toy? What about right. that? Like, you know? Like, yeah, I don't think this movie is specifically literally pro-life. Right. But it's just with the... With the, it's just kind of baked in there with the whole right. thought experience. And you know? what's weird about it, like when we were watching it with mom, that was like all mom could think about. It. She kept saying over and over again, like, oh, Republicans are going to love this movie. Because <laughs> for some reason, she just couldn't get past the like pro-life interpretation of it. I don't know why. But yeah. um, but it's just so funny that I, like, I haven't really seen that around anywhere. Like, I haven't yeah, heard I, anybody yeah. talking about that element of it, which is, I guess, good. Like, I don't know. Yeah, because I don't think that was I, the Yeah, I didn't really, like, take in this movie, like, um, you better not abort any babies because they've programmed those souls fully before they <laughs> Already, ever even enter right. Earth. Which also we don't yeah. see, like... When does this soul enter this body at conception? Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, they're very, they're very, it seems like they're very clear about, like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, they just. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's very. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's totally, like, besides the point in that, yeah, like, yeah, life absolutely. is precious. And yeah, exactly. Like, it, it doesn't, yeah. it's not a culmination of your achievements. I just think that's great. I just think yeah, it's so no, good. Yeah, it's good. Totally <laughs> good. Um, okay, is that it? Are we done? Uh, Wait, I want to say I have something long. to say. This Go is ahead. really important. Um, the the part where uh, Abraham Lincoln is talking to twenty two, and she's like, "How do you feel about being on the penny?" And he says, "Oh, you know, it's an honor to be like immortalized like that for to the American people." And she says, "Well, Andrew Jackson's on the twenty dollar bill," <laughs> and he freaks out. I just right? love that. I think that's so good. That's just hilarious. Because <laughs> fucking fuck Andrew Jackson, man. Andrew Jackson fuck is him. a terrible person. He when doesn't belong on our money. Worst. When did our modern banknotes get designed? When did that begin? Yeah, like when? When did we put it? I don't like, know. Right. Like, that's a good question. When was American money? Design just ask when they put Abraham Lincoln on the penny. Hold on, I'm trying to get <laughs> this is Listen. April 2nd, 1792. That doesn't seem quite right. That's exactly when they put Abraham Lincoln <laughs> on the penny. Don't you ever dare. <laughs> the history now. did they put did they immediately put George Washington on the dollar? I feel like that'd be weird if he was like still alive, right? Do you think that there will be like a like the crown, like there will be an episode where George Washington's pissed he looks too old on the dollar. <laughs> um, I okay. Apparently, this is a complicated question that there's not a simple answer to. So I'll come back to you another time when I'm not streaming. <laughs> when they put Abraham Lincoln on the penny, we I'm sure there's uh, a coin person out there that knows. Right, but it just like we it's coin, not an easily Googleable. Uh, okay, anyway. It's just funny. That's funny. And also, you know, That's it's implied it, yeah. that Andrew Jackson is in hell, so, because he's not there. He was never Which is TV. great. Which is great. <laughs> Do they, I don't think they even confirm Listen, any kind of hell my, or, okay, yeah, I sure. think that Andrew Jackson's in hell. <laughs> um, I don't believe in hell. Ronald Reagan are just partying up a storm. Uh, but, oh, shoot, there was one last thing I wanted to say before we quit. I forgot what it was. You guys keep doing this to me and I hate you for it. I'm, I'm so sorry. bitter. And we're not friends in real life. This is all a facade. It's, a, it's true. Um, it's just a funny I'm not joke. actually his sister. I'm just somebody that he knows. Oh, I get just I feel like 
I have a complicated relationship with those cutaway family guy jokes they do at the beginning of this movie. Because it's like, they're kind of funny, but it just feels... I don't know, maybe just Family Guy leaves a bad taste in the mouth. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? The Family Guy? I think that's all oh, you gotta say. Oh, is it say. like when he's like, <laughs> uh, they're really bad, not you. He's really bad. What Or what are you talking about? No, I mean like where it's like, oh, I've been raised by a whole bunch of other people. And you just like cut to 22 talking to Mother Teresa and uh, gotcha, Sigmund gotcha, Freud gotcha. or whatever. Um, Just like that, like the cutaway style of joke always... I don't know. I don't know what it is. I I was not a hundred percent sold on just the 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 language sold. of it. Yeah, not sold. Uh, hey, but it, it feels like a very enough. specific break from like the visual language of the movie up till then and moving forward. And it's like, does that Look, make it more funny? We don't have a lot of jokes. We gotta get right. Some it's like, does that make it more funny that it's different, or does it just make it lazy filmmaking? I don't know. <laughs> medium worked on me and I'm not sure what to think about it. I didn't have a problem with it. I didn't either. Like it was definitely it was definitely like different in order to make a joke and I was fine with it because there were only three jokes. So it was <laughs> right. fine. Um Okay, so hey, do you guys want to hear a one star review of Soul of Disney Pixar Soul? Kinda I don't I don't actually, <laughs> but let's hear it. This is and I just I wanna I wanna preface this because I feel like I have to every once in a while with these. Uh, I did a little bit of scoping. I scoped out this person's account, and I can confirm uh, that this is not somebody trying to make a bit. This is a this at least. <laughs> this is a, an old thing. It seems to me opinion. this is a genuine opinion. Yeah, <clears throat> this person says terrible movie. Why is nobody addressing how much it ripped off Persona Five? The music is so similar to Persona 5 that it's impossible Pixar didn't steal from them. There are even souls and a cat just like Persona 5. Pixar should just admit that they stole the music from Persona 5. It's got a cat in it. It's exactly like Persona 5. (laughs) I hope they reach their targeted audience. Um, Like, can you imagine in this week, this week of crazy turmoil, craziness... (laughs) That like tomorrow, they're like breaking the headline news. is like Pixar admits they ripped off no, Persona, Persona Five. <laughs> <laughs> they're like God, they got I wish us. We lived in that timeline. <laughs> Do a press conference. We didn't make it that far into the year. <laughs> Pete Doctor. This isn't who we are as Americans. We shouldn't have ripped off Persona Five. Pete Doctor Sorry. giving a YouTube apology about <laughs> ripping off Persona Five. He cries at the end. <laughs> I think. I think Persona 5 invented jazz, actually. And I learned that, a lot from true. this experience, and I hope you can forgive me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, anyway, my name is Jackson McMurray. My name is Adelaide McMurray. And my name is Keisha Rhodes. And if you'd like to follow us on any social oh, medias, fuck. please feel free. On Twitter, you can find us at, at NoNerdsPod. You can find Jackson at, at JepperPack. You can find Adeline at at Holla Backhorse, and you can find me at Real Justin Bieber. Thank you, and also like, comment, subscribe. Tell us, do you think that Soul is a perfect film? How do you feel about the lighting? <laughs> <laughs> do you like pizza and walking? <laughs> Sometimes at the same time. Yeah, uh, I, I should do all, as much as I can. We should all go out and get a pizza right now in solidarity with everybody who's alive. <laughs> yeah gluten free because every single person who's alive is eating yeah. pizza it's according true. to the movie soul that's true yeah
pizza. Yeah, that's the biggest takeaway. Pizza and walk in and entire planet is eating pizza. Or bagels. They do eat eat bagels too. They don't talk about it as much. We're all when you look up in the sky, we're all looking at the same moon and eating the same pizza. (laughs) By the way, that moment where he's playing the song and he's looking at the little trinkets that Twenty Two laid out, and they like do that thing where they like cut out to New York City and the planet and the fucking galaxy feels so hack when you describe it, but that. It's so good in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, see, and you're, when you describe it, you're like, oh, whenever, yeah. when you watch it, you You're cry. like, oh, so. man, that rules. That rules, it hits good. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, okay, so now my name's Jackson McMurray. <laughs> <laughs> my name was Adeline McMurray. And my name is Keisha 22 Rhodes. Oh, nice. And this is No Nerds Allowed. Thank you, and good night. Or good morning. I don't know when you listen to this podcast. Truman Show. Good afternoon. Good evening, ladies. Good fucking show. That's not what he says. <laughs> Are you sure? I haven't seen the movie for a while. I'm pretty sure that's what he says. <laughs>